Hey there, my name is Bree. And I'm Suze. We're the hosts of Crime and Spirits, a true crime and cocktail podcast. Do you love spooky stories and all things true crime? How about themed cocktails? Do you love those too? Well, that's perfect, because so do we. Yeah, in fact, we love them so much, we made an entire podcast all about it. Every week, we bring you a new episode that covers a different case or topic of interest. But first, we'll need drinks. Don't you worry, we've got you covered there. Every week, we'll teach you how to make a handcrafted cocktail that ties into the theme or topic in some way. So you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much every other platform available. New episodes roll out every Sunday. So buckle up and sip tight. We can't wait to talk some true crime with you. Bye. Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Hey, what's up, you guys? Hey, what's up, you guys? I'm Catherine. And I'm Haley. And we are Saturdays for the Ghouls. A Podmoth podcast. How are you, Haley? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited for recording today because it's true crime week, as we know. True crime. And I thought for spooky month, I thought maybe... We should do a multiple true crime episode. Oh. So I've brought you three Halloween crimes. Oh, you bought me an anthology. I brought you an anthology of crimes that happened around Halloween time. So for the for these episodes, I was watching the Halloween month of Snapped episodes from a few years ago. And that's why I got these. Okay, I'm ready. Let's go. Okay, so we're going to go back to 2004. Oh, I was still in high school. Whoa, damn. Damn, I was 24. (laughs) Okay, in 2014, in Monroe County, French Township, it's a small town, but there's every Halloween, this guy, his name's Michael Williams, he, on his property, throws this, like, big halloween bash like a rager it has live music it has a bonfire and a lot it's like the thing to go to in this small town every halloween he even take he he takes off work to make sure he can make it all happen he hires security all of that stuff oh my god that sounds so fun it does sound fun and i saw some clips of the party and like he was in a band and he was singing in his band and it was like heavy metal and they were all dressed up as teenage mutant ninja turtles but on october 26 2014 that was the day of the bash so i'm assuming that was the weekend the saturday before halloween chelsea who is the waitress in the small town she was so excited for this party she was so ready to go she spent so much time making her costume She was poison ivy, so she sewed individual leaves onto a leotard. And she spent a lot of time to make her costume, and it was really cool. She was really excited, and she was really happy. The day of the party, her ride fell through, so she wasn't able to get to the party. She didn't either. She either didn't drive or didn't have a car. I'm not sure what the circumstances of that was. So she spent, like, the next 
few minutes, 30 minutes. I don't know how long she spent, but she spent the next few minutes calling people to try to find a way to get to the party. Hey, have you left yet? Can you pick me up? Blah, 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 blah. One of her friends who was already at the party was like, I'll come get you. And so she left the party and got her and then came back. I don't know how long of a drive that is, but that's a real friend who would leave the party she already was at to go pick you up. True friend. Yeah. When she got there, she gave her cell phone to one of her friends because her leotard didn't have any pockets and she didn't have a purse or anything. So she gave her cell phone to a friend and she just had a blast. It was a fun time. She had brought her own like wine in like a jug that said poison on it because she was poison ivy. It was uh. just, it was all thought out really well, like her costume and she didn't have to drink any of like the drinks that were there at the party. How party drinks can sometimes get contaminated with yeah. things. Mm -hmm. So she was very careful about that. So she had her own wine, her jug. So that's what she drank the whole night. But the party got posted on Facebook. And that meant that people from all over the state came to the party. And with the people that showed up, there was 800 people at this party. Oh, my God. And Michael said that this was like over twice as many that he expected. If that's what he was accounting for, that's how many staff he hired for security. That's how much he got for food and drink, like all that stuff. So there was 800 people. But the end of the party, there was a bonfire. And the crowd started, like, dwindling out. And so Chelsea was like, okay, I got to first find my phone, second find my ride. So she's wandering around. The crowd is starting to thin, and she can't find her friend with her phone or the friend who gave her the ride to the party. In fact, she couldn't find literally anybody in the crowd that she knew. And so uh, okay. that's where she started basically walking down, like, the country road towards the highway. And she was going to try to hitch a ride home. There were people obviously leaving the party. And so there were cars coming down and she was asking if they could give her a ride home. And the last time that she was seen getting into a car with an unknown man from the party. On October 27th, which was the next day, Chelsea was reported missing by her mother. And it was unlike her. She was very much like a family person. And so it was very uncommon for her to be gone and not tell anybody where she is. That's why they reported her missing so quickly. And on April 24th of 2015, which was about six months later, there were human remains that were found in a heavily wooded area about 10 miles away from the party property. Alongside that body was also a pair of leggings with... DNA on them and body was was actually Chelsea and the leggings were from her costume so the DNA that was on the leggings was not Chelsea hmm. so they were trying to run a DNA match they were trying to find anything along the lines of who did this to her how she came into that predicament of being in the woods this is a quote the Wayne County Medical Examiner determined that Chelsea died from blunt force trauma to the head and had numerous fractures to her jaw, face, neck, and teeth. And the cause of death was blunt force trauma. It took over a year for them to find a DNA match. On July 21st, 2016, a DNA match was to match to a man named Daniel Clay, who was 27. <clears throat> On July 22nd, he was arrested at his girlfriend's mobile home. And during questioning, 
Clay admitted that he and Chelsea were having sex that was rough but consensual, which is a quote, and that that night she had asked him to choke her. And that after 30 seconds or so of choking her, she like went limp. And then he tried to give her CPR and nothing worked. So then he claimed that he, quote, freaked out. So instead of calling the police and saying, hey, I, something bad happened, mm-hmm. he carried Chelsea out to the wooded area and left her body under tree branches. Uh-huh. But the blood force trauma to the head is not conducive for being choked. Choked. Basically. Yeah. This is a quote. Her body was too decomposed to find any evidence of strangulation because it had been so long. But the the people in the court and stuff like that, they said, quote, it takes about two and a half minutes of sustained pressure to choke someone to death, not 30 seconds. Yep. And so, like, in the courtroom, they took a mannequin or, like, a, a dummy, and they, like, literally let, made everyone sit there while they strangled someone for two and a half seconds to show you how long you would have to strangle someone. It'd be hard to not know that you were killing someone. It, it actually takes quite a while for you to, to kill someone via strangulation. And if she was at all struggling, she was trying to tap out, you probably would have realized that. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? He claimed that the reason why there was, quote, blunt force trauma to her head was that her head was closed in the door and she did hit her head while she was he was carrying her out to the forest a couple times. But the medical examiner, they claim that she was like severely beaten. Yeah, that it wasn't just you don't lose teeth and fracture your skull because you hit your head. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. This man was, like, punching her. He had to have been. Or hitting her with something. Yeah. I don't know what it could have been. On July 25th of 2016, he was charged with second-degree murder. And later, he was also charged with concealment of a body. Later, his second-degree murder charge was raised to an open murder charge. And this meant that the jury could determine that if he was guilty of first-degree premeditated murder, this means that he would be eligible for life in prison. So on Mm. May 16th of 2017, Daniel was found guilty of first-degree murder. And on July 13th of 2017, he was sentenced to life in prison, where hopefully he will be forever the end. Wow. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just call the police? If If it was really something that was so innocent that you guys were just having something, and the body was probably not blunt force trauma at that point, if that's the case. Mm-hmm. The, the body would have shown that there was an erotic asphyxiation, like that kind of thing. I don't know. I just don't know why he would have called the fucking police. Bro, if anything, yeah, he should have called the police if it, if it was an accident. Two, he, if he wanted to cover it up, Bunner, he could have just said, yeah, we had some rough sex that night, but she was alive when I left. Is he still in prison? As far as, as, far as I know, yes. Moving on to our next true crime. So in Manteca, California, on Halloween of 2011, Kathleen McGee's daughter was calling for her mother and knocking on her bedroom door, and she wasn't getting any kind of response, but the bedroom door was locked. And so she called her brother, and he told her, call the police. Once the police got to the house, they gained entry, and they found that she was unresponsive on the ground from multiple stab wounds, and that was at about 6.15 on Halloween night. The police were like, what the fuck happened here? Because 
in this town, it's again, it's another small town. This kind of stuff doesn't happen. And they're like, we got to act fast because soon the streets are going to be filled with kids and families and we don't know what happened to this woman. So her eldest son, Justin, who told her daughter to call the police, he was also shocked that it even happened. And he was like, we need to find Dawson. And Dawson is his youngest brother. And Dawson also lives at home with his parents. So he wasn't home, though, at the time. In high school, Dawson was diagnosed with ADHD. He had a lot of trouble focusing. Um, he was always getting into trouble. His brother was like, he liked attention, whether it was good or bad. So he really didn't care in that kind of manner. But he found music and he felt that really helped him. And he got through high school. He got to college. But then after college, he started getting progressively. He wasn't working. He lived with his parents, obviously. But he also was claiming that he could see angels and demons. And then he started smoking weed. And then those visions started becoming more intense. And then he became obsessed with like horror and slasher films. He was even collecting like props and masks like Jason's mask. And then... He would take it even a step further by wearing them out in public and while he was driving saying that the masks calmed him and he had this journal where he was like obsessed with religion and God and angels and demons and his brother seemed unbelieving of like his visions and like all of that kind of stuff. His mom also did a lot for Dawson and he didn't even he didn't even cook or clean or do his own laundry at the house like his mom did everything for him and his family mentioned that maybe she was enabling him and she was always like super defensive about it even Justin was like my brother was never violent he never I was never worried about my kids around him none of that stuff he was never angry or violent around 1:30 a.m. though they found Dawson driving around town wearing his masks and his leather jacket and they pulled him over and they took him into custody. So they begin talking to him about what happened with his mom. And this is where things started getting a little bit more weird, if you could believe it. He was talking weird and mumbling and making like weird, like jerky movements with his like arms and like his head. And that wasn't normal for him in his regular day. So while they were talking to him, they had him in custody and they were like, let's talk about what happened to your mom. He's like, what happened to mom? And... They went back and forth. You tell me what happened. He's, I don't know what happened. And then he asked, aren't I supposed to have a lawyer here? And he goes, you have one if you want one. He goes, yeah, I do want one. And so then they booked him while they waited for his attorney. And when they left the room, his act dropped. And then when he entered the room again, he would bring his hand up to be like jerky again. And like his face would be jerky. They obviously couldn't talk to him until his a lawyer got there or his attorney got there. But what they did have was his jacket, and his jacket did have blood stains on it that was confirmed that it was Kathleen's blood. It really wasn't helpful that he had Kathleen's blood on him to say that he didn't know what was happening to his mom. During his first appearance in court, he, quote, sat against the wall in the courtroom, fidgeting with his fingers and his hands, rolling his head and his eyes backwards during his arraignment. He appeared to be somewhat delusional as he responded to the judge with a simple yes when he when she asked if he understood what he was being charged with. And then he entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. There was no confession and there was no murder weapon. It was, you have to prove that, that Dawson really did do all of this stuff 
and that he's of sound mind. So the jury took days to deliberate if he was guilty for first degree murder or if he was guilty of second degree murder. And I think it took like almost a week, if not more, to decide if they felt like he... So like first degree murder means like he planned it, he knew what he was doing, and secondary murder is it's out of it's out of nowhere he decides he's going to kill someone. So the jury found him guilty of second degree murder instead of first degree murder. So then the jury had to decide whether he was sane or not. So during the trial, he was not jerking or twitching like he was previously when he was taken into custody. He was in fact just stone-faced. He didn't have any kind of emotion on his face. Four psych evaluations later, two doctors claimed that he was insane and two doctors claimed that he was not insane. There was one last doctor that was hired, but not by either the defense or the prosecution, so he was neutral in the case. He gave his honest opinion. and He said that hearing voices and his actions may indicate that he is, in fact, mentally ill, but generally, mentally ill people do not parade their symptoms around like he was doing and concluded that he was, in fact, faking it and he was of sound mind and he was sane. The jury deliberated for only a few minutes before they came back with the fact that he was sane and of sound mind. But he was, at that time, only sentenced to 16 years to life. It was the second-degree murder charge of 15 years to life Plus one because it was one year was added because of the murder with a knife. And that's the story of Kathleen McGee. Damn. Yeah. Gonna do your mama like that. But... Yeah, the judge was like, you're gonna have to live forever knowing what you did to your mom. Literally the only person who was on your side and took care of you. And that's what you're gonna have to live with. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's a little... Literally the only person that seemed to care about him, so... But she was really the only one in his court. Okay. Are you ready for the next one? Yeah. Okay. So in downtown Napa, which is, you know, a wine country, it was, a, it's a really safe, it's a great place to live. And Adrian, she had just graduated college and she just gotten hired at an engineering company. And this is where she met her best friend, Lily, who was also a woman in engineering, which is not very common to come across sometimes. In some places, it's not common for women to be in engineering. You go, girls. Adrian was really excited to move into this house that was in Napa, and it was, like, going to be her own place. But she was going to live with a couple roommates, but she was just excited to be on her own, out of college, ready to be independent. Initially, she had one roommate who was another girl who was local in town. Her name is Laura Minza, who was a volleyball coach. She's 26. Adrian was 26 and obviously was an engineer. And then later, a third girl moved in with them, and her name was Leslie Mazzara, and she had just recently moved to Napa, and she moved into the house, and she worked at a winery as, like, a hostess or a greeter. On Halloween, the three roomies were doing what roomies do and handing out candy, doing Halloween things, but as responsible adults, they went to bed and were in bed by 11 p.m., because I'm assuming it was probably a work night. What year are we in? Did you say that? 2004 okay so the bedrooms were split so that there were two bedrooms upstairs and one downstairs and leslie and adrian lived upstairs and then lauren was in the downstairs bedroom 
so that night, Halloween night, she was woken up by like a security light outside that turned on. That's like a motion censored light, but she wasn't really worried about it because she thought it was probably just like the neighbor's cat. And so she like rolled back over and fell asleep. But then she heard like screams coming from upstairs. So she jumped out of bed and then ran out of the house and hid in the backyard. And then she heard someone bounding down the stairs and then leaving out of a window. So then Lauren went back into the house and she went upstairs and opened her bed, her friend's door and she slipped on some liquid at the front door of the, her door and Adrian and Leslie were both in Adrian's room with several stab wounds. And at that point she ran out of the house and called 911. And when they had arrived, both women were pronounced dead at the scene. Oh my God. That's scary. But I'm also like, that's very lucky. Okay. So obviously their friends and families were devastated right off the bat. There was no suspect. And these are a couple things that they assumed were facts or something that helped them get started on finding a suspect. Number one, they assumed that the intruder knew the girls. Number two, they assumed that Leslie was the target because she was new in town. She was often meeting new people, bringing them over to the house, dating new guys, all that kind of stuff. As you would when you move to a new area. Anyway, one of the people that she met was this guy who she dated for a short time. And then after they broke up, he created a website in tribute of her. And this guy was like, does that strike you as normal? You break up with a woman and you're not happy about it. And then you make a website about her? <laughs> a little crazy, right? Anyway, so supposedly there was like this big struggle, big fight between the girls and the intruder. And the intruder happened to leave some blood on the window that they entered and escaped from. So that's DNA, right? And then outside, the police found a ton of like cigarette butts. And the detective said... Quote, it could be someone who's nervous, trying to work up the courage to go inside and do this. And then another quote is, it could be someone who's very deliberately thinking about this through thoughts and plans that they've already made in their minds and what they're going to be doing when they get into the house. Like planning things out, smoking cigarettes. The brand of cigarette was Camel Turkish Gold. And this is not like a common brand of cigarette, especially because it was actually a newer strand or <laughs> brand. Or Camel is not new but the turkish gold was new and so they collected the cigarettes assuming that there was probably dna on those as well and they sent the dna from the window and the dna from the cigarettes to see if there was a match but they continued their investigation while they were waiting for that investigators began collecting dna from the men that leslie had been talking to or meeting up with even one of her current boyfriends no matches and then they also looked at Adrian's on-and-off-again boyfriend, Christian. It was a somewhat problematic relationship. So she wanted to be more settled down, and he was not ready to do that. And so it was like they were breaking up on and off. She'd complain about him a lot. Anyway, alas, all of these led to nowhere. No matches to the window DNA. Her best friend, Lily, from earlier, was so upset about this. And in fact, before this, her and her eight-year-long boyfriend, Eric, had gotten engaged and they were going to be married on November 1st, which is obviously the day that they got hurt. And 
all three of the girls would have been in Hawaii with them if they had not postponed their wedding, which they did. I feel like she was probably struggling with the fact that she probably felt like it was her fault. So basically, at this point, everyone is baffled at how there's not one person that could have done this. Everyone, even the popo are baffled. They were like, we don't know. So it's now summer and that's eight months later. And oh my God. Yeah. They have met with and interviewed and tested people with over a thousand people. I'm assuming they started with the small circles and then got further out and maybe around the location. I don't know how they got to a thousand people and didn't find someone. I digress. Fast forward. September of 2005, this is 11 months later, something came up. Finally, we have maybe some sort of answer. The thing that came up was that the results from the window, this, I'm telling you it took 11, 11 months to get this. The DNA from the window matched the DNA on the cigarette. And so they were like, they match. Now we can let this little piece of evidence out that there were cigarettes that matched the DNA that was found on the window and tell the brand of cigarettes and the type of cigarettes and see if that rings a bell in anybody's mind. Because, again, they were not common cigarettes. This tactic, I guess, it did work. Because there was a man in Napa who heard about the cigarettes and the DNA match, and he began to sweat. So much so that he wrote suicide notes to his family and... He was gonna he was gonna be done with life. But his family intervened and convinced him to go turn himself in to the police. And Haley, who do you think it was? I think it was the girl. Oh, okay. The girl, the best friend? Yeah, or she hired somebody. Haley, you are so very close. Okay. It was Eric Koppel, who is Lily's husband. And boyfriend of eight years, of eight years at the time. And fiance at the time of the murders. Oh, I was like, because the one that they were going to marry? He, oh. They postponed the wedding. But they still got married. They're married now. At this point. And he's the one who, whose DNA matched, at least. Right? Uh-huh. Eric was described as very reserved. He was a land surveyor, which... You could pay me a million dollars. I can't really tell you what a land surveyor does, but I'm assuming <laughs> they, they survey, they survey the, land. the land. <laughs> yeah, but like beyond that, I'm a lost cause. Okay. So some say it's hard to believe that Lily laid next to him for 11 months and didn't have any suspicions. And the fact that she was so vocal about like, how is it that nobody knows? Nobody saw anybody with scratches. Nobody saw anyone with bruises. But again... Eric says that Lily didn't know as far as he knew. And when Eric was asked why he did it, he said that he was upset that night because he had gotten so drunk on Halloween that Lily didn't want to stay with him in his apartment. And that he felt that Lily was like slipping away from him. And someone on the episode said like he was probably insecure about Lily's other friendships like with Adrian and um, the girls that live in that house. So instead of killing her, he killed her two friends. Yeah, because he loves Lily. Interesting. Here's a quote from an article. 
He claimed that while he did have some memory of leaving his house and taking a knife with him, that he didn't know how he ended up at the girl's house. Quote, he remembered smoking cigarettes out in front and remembered going in the window, but he didn't remember much else. Helpful, right? He also would not admit that he knew what he did. He knew that he was responsible, but he claimed that his eyes were closed during the, the attack. So that, that just, that's fine, right? Your eyes were closed. You didn't do it. <laughs> I didn't see it. It didn't happen. Due to his confession, he did plead guilty on two counts of first-degree murder. But because he pled guilty, that spared him the death penalty. And during the trial, Lily was able to speak to her husband, like, on the stand. And the victim's parents speak and, like sometimes friends and blah 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 and then this allowed lily to talk to her husband on the stand and this is what she said eric there's nothing you could do that to make me love you any less these words are as true today as they were on that afternoon are you fucking kidding me wow she's digmatized i'm i'm so sorry if your boyfriend killed me i know that would never happen if your boyfriend killed me and then you stood on that fucking stand and was like, boyfriend, I would love you no matter what. No, I would at least assume that you would break up with him or divorce him <laughs> or whatever it was. Here's the last line. He's sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Okay. So you, you're never going to see him again. So why not just divorce him? And why keep that little line in your fucking mouth? Yeah. Why make him feel like he did good? Like he's that fine. He was fine. Yeah. It was like... I don't know. I just couldn't believe she said that to him on stand in the courtroom in front of her best friend's parents. Yeah, that's fucked up. She done fucked up for herself, too. I think that he was... I, th I think that ultimately he was, like, jealous of the fact that Lily and the girls were friends. <laughs> that's all I got for you today. Do you have anything to tell the Spooky Babes before we go? Spooky Babes, thanks for joining us today on um, True Crime Week. Hopefully... You enjoyed this episode as much as you can. And good riddance to all of those people that are now in jail. Yes. Um, as much as spooky season is great, it is also very dangerous. So please be careful. Yes. If you take anything away from today is be careful. Just be careful if you're going to parties. Do what you can to protect yourself. Exactly. It's a dangerous world out there. We love you. And back to you, Catherine. We love you. We appreciate you. We want you to be as safe as you possibly can this holiday season, Halloween, Thanksgiving, all of the December holidays, whatever you celebrate, I want you to be as safe as possible. And you know what? Just like the whole year, be as safe as possible. Always have a buddy. That's a good, I think, good plan. Yes. But we appreciate you. You matter, and you are supposed to be here in the world today, and there's a reason that you're here. And I read something this week that was like, don't let the fact that if you had some kind of something that prevented you from living your life, whether it be grief or depression or mental illness or anything like that, don't let that stop you from having happiness in the future and cultivating that for yourself in the future. Don't let those lost years or months or days count against you. You are worth more and you deserve to have happiness. So try to cultivate that however you can. You have our permission to be happy 
as long as you're not hurting anybody or yourself. Okay. Correct. We appreciate you so much, and we will see you in your nightmares. <laughs>